Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, and ladies and gentlemen, do we have an episode for you today. Lot to get into. Obviously, and I've heard from a lot of you guys on social media. I got some texts. Where's the podcast? When is it coming out? I want to hear your reaction to, obviously, what happened at the deadline. You guys know the names. You know where they are now. You know what the return was. We're going to peel the layers back of those trades. And also, it is game week. It is Friday of game week. New England Patriots hosting the Washington Commanders this week in Foxborough. A Washington Commanders roster that is going to have some new faces, get some new opportunities when they line up at 1 o'clock against the 2-6 and six AFC Easts. New England Patriots. So that's where we're going to start today is with the trade deadline moves from Washington to where going into Tuesday, I expected one of them to be moved with Chase and Montez. I expected one to be moved and I expected Montez to go. Rumblings were Atlanta, Chicago, San Francisco. Either of those three teams making a move for either of them. And two of those three ultimately got one of those players. So with Montez going to Chicago for a second rounder in return, that may turn into basically an early, early, early second rounder, potentially the 33rd overall pick, which is basically a first rounder if they do their due diligence in this draft process, which I will get to in a minute. And Chase goes to San Francisco for a third-round pick to now re-team up with his former teammate at Ohio State and Nick Bosa. That's a hell of a tandem, however you want to look at it, however the lack of success, the lack of health that Chase has showed. But it is kind of sad that both these guys are gone, right? These are figureheads in Washington, Montez since 2019, and obviously Chase is the second overall pick in the COVID year, a guy that was really the first pick ever in the regime of Ron Rivera back, again, in the COVID year. This regime did not draft Montez Sweat, but he is someone that stayed relatively healthy during his career and consistently showed up every single week. Now, from Montez's perspective, it is a really weird situation in Chicago, in my opinion, right now for Montez, considering the fact of what could happen over these next three or four months in Chicago. Because... They are in a full rebuild as well. Now, this is the same team that also came into Washington and whooped the commander's ass on Thursday Night Football. Montez is going to provide an excellent piece along the defensive front, a young defensive front, a young defensive front seven. He's going to be the best pass rusher that they've had immediately since Khalil Mack was in town before he left for the LA Chargers. But he does not have a contract Past 2023. Could it be a short-term rental? We will see. Chicago just last year blew a first-round pick trading for Chase Claypool 
from the Pittsburgh Steelers. That didn't work out there. And now from Montez's perspective, and what could happen, I don't expect it to, because I do expect Bears GM Ryan Poles to re-up him, put pen to paper, and keep him in Chicago for a long time. But Montez may want money that pays him like a top five edge rusher, a top six or seven edge rusher in football. Is he that right now? I do not think so. And if Chicago doesn't want to give that money to him, even though they have a lot of cap space, then you have an interesting spot on your hands to where ultimately, if Washington wanted to bring back Montez Sweat in 2024 and pay him the money to come back here and still keep Chicago's early second round pick, they could. Again, if Chicago does not get Montez to sign an extension. Now, he could go elsewhere, of course. But if Washington wanted him back, because that's ultimately what the plan was, guys, heading into 2023. Who was Washington going to sign from these edge rushers? Was it Chase or was it Montez at the end of 2023? But now with both of them gone, that's where my mind is with Montez and Chase right now. When I look at Chase in San Francisco, right, it's a sexy tandem with him and Bosa and that, def- that defense. It's loaded at all three levels. But he could very easily be a short-term rental for the money that he wants. Not saying Washington's going to pay either of them. But neither of them have contracts moving into 2024, which throws an extremely new wrinkle into the scenario. Because San Francisco, obviously, is a Super Bowl contender. Do they see Chase Young as that potential final piece to the puzzle? Take pressure off of guys in the middle, like Javon Kinlaw. And then Nick Bosa on the other side. Take pressure off of Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw at the second level. Take pressure off of everybody. Because Chase Young, at the end of the day, again, NFL is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. What has Chase Chase Young done for me lately? Well, he's been damn good. Again, we haven't seen him for the majority of the past two seasons since he won Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2020. But in 2023, through the first two months of the season, number 99 has shown up. And now in San Francisco, as that potential final piece to jigsaw the Super Bowl puzzle, what they've been chasing for years, they've been to NFC title games, they've been to Super Bowls with Jimmy G. Brock Purdy is a very similar type of quarterback to Jimmy Garoppolo. And what Kyle Shanahan, our old friend Kyle Shanahan, what they want him to do out there. But my focus and our focus is how Chase is going to fit in there and how it ultimately affects Washington. Because this is the capital, these are the types of players you use capital on to get into D.C. Second overall pick and a first round pick that you traded into the back of the first round after taking Dwayne Haskins in 2019. A draft that, from my perspective, I was in Washington during the 2019 draft. I was 20 feet from the war room in that situation to where the focus for Washington was tackle, it was defensive end. That was the focus. And they took Dwayne Haskins in the middle of that first round. And then had to trade back in to get Montez Sweat late in that first round. The focus in the middle of that first round, guys, was on Brian Burns. Defensive end from Florida State. And now has had a hell of a career with the Carolina Panthers. That's who the focus was. If you don't believe me, if the if defensive end wasn't focused in the middle of that first round in 2019, when they took Haskins... 
All you need to know is why they traded back in for Montez Sweat. Defensive end was the focus. But these were the faces that Washington have built around. Chase, Montez, Duran, and John. Duran and John have been locked up the last few off-seasons. They're going to be commanders most likely for the foreseeable future. Terry, on the same, th- same thing, on the other side of the ball. Hopefully in Washington for a long time. But now, it's, who do you have? Who's showing up? Because it looks like the James Smith-Williams and the Casey Tuhill show. But for me, it's not the Tuhill and Smith-Williams show. It's the K.J. Henry and the Andre Jones Jr. show. Two young athletes that you spent draft capital on this year, Henry from Clemson and Jones from Louisiana Lafayette, on day three, where you expect them to come in and play. Andre Jones has been basically active all season long, primarily lived on special teams. K.J. Henry has been inactive for a majority of the season. This is where they're going to get an opportunity, not just to show up and play 10 reps, but to get potentially 50-60% of the snaps. Because rotationally right now, that's who they have. They're basically four deep at the position, including F.A. Obata if you want to throw in that fifth man. So they have names. They have bodies. We've talked about it for years since Sweat and Young were in town, that the edge spot was deep. Until we got to this year to where we said, we don't know what's going to happen moving forward. They got to draft some guys and they got to get some talent in the building. They didn't bring anybody in free agency like a cheap perspective that they did in the middle with a guy like Abdullah Anderson or a guy like Trent Scott at tackle. They drafted two guys, one from a major power five program and the other from, from the Sun Belt, to where Andre Jones had a lot of success for the Raging Cajuns and he's got some juice. And I'm excited for both KJ and Andre and the opportunities that they're going to get to compete moving forward. Not just this Sunday in New England. Because we haven't seen any of either of them. And guys, really, who I'm excited to see as well is Casey Tuhill. Because every single time that Casey Tuhill is on the damn football field, he produces. I'm going to read off a couple numbers here for you guys. Montez Sweat had 239 pass rush, snaps and pass rush this year. Chase had 247. Casey Tuhill, through eight games, so he's been active every single game, had 59. Montez, 27 pressures, Chase had 38. Casey Tuhill had five. Montez had eight sacks, Chase had six sacks. Casey Tuhill had four, guys. Four sacks for Casey Tuhill and 59 pass rush opportunities. I want to dive deeper into the numbers here. In games that he had sacks, week two against Denver, week six at Atlanta, and last week at home against the Eagles. In week two, he had one pressure and 11 pass rush opportunities. He had a sack. One pressure, one sack. When he has a chance to get the quarterback down, he's taking him down. Then you flash forward to week six, 11 pass rush opportunities again, three pressures, two sacks. Again, when he has an opportunity to get the quarterback down, he gets him down. And then this past week against Philadelphia, 13 total snaps, seven pass rush opportunities, one pressure, one sack. 
I look at the other games he's been active. The snaps really have not been there a ton. The, cons- the consistency in those games hasn't been there a ton. But this is a guy that's been in Washington in sports since 2020. In 2021, 15 pressures in a sack. 2022, 19 pressures in a sack. Already in 2023, with just 59 snaps as a pass rusher. Five pressures, four sacks, guys. He is taking advantage of an opportunity. And what that tells me is now he's going to have more than 15 snaps a game. He's going to have upwards of probably 30 to 35 plus a football game. Now, I am not saying that Casey Tuhill is Montez Sweat or Chase Young. But damn it, this is the same guys in Young and Sweat that we expected to become an elite tandem in football. And they never were, guys. I am not going to sit here and just talk about guys for the last names on their jerseys. I'm going to talk about what we saw from them in their time in Washington. We saw spurts of dominance for both guys. In the run game, in the passing game, chasing down guys, TFLs, splash plays, batted passes, interceptions, forced fumbles, strip sacks. We saw those in flashes in times in spurts since Montez entered Washington in 2019, and chased the next year. And every single game, you guys been on this podcast since I started this thing last year, I talk about where Washington's success will stem from every single week, and it starts on the defensive side of the football with these guys on the edge, a premium position to where you cannot allow quarterbacks. I don't care if you're Mac Jones, who Washington sees this week, or you're number 15 in Kansas City. You have to get after the quarterback and make guys' life hell every single chance that you get. Now, we have questions about Jack Del Rio and what he's done defensively, really, in 2023. How he utilizes this front four. Just sending four sometimes and asking these guys to get home on every snap. It doesn't work like that. The best defenses in football are consistently unique who they're sending from where. And it was a major disappointment in my eyes as a tandem for Chase and Montez during their time in D.C. We still got the tandem of big boys in the middle in John Allen and Deron Payne. You guys love them. I do too. Deron specifically has played out of his mind for two consecutive years. John Allen's been up and down for me in 2023. You know, I'm going to tell it like it is, guys. But now with new faces playing five tech outside the shoulder of the left and right tackle and the rotation of guys that we're going to see and the decisions to move on from both these guys from up top, Josh Harris, Magic Johnson, they put their foot on the neck of this organization saying this is not acceptable. And in my opinion, with the team now sending off Franchise headliners, focus needs to turn to the guys that have made these decisions to continue to play these guys and make these guys their guys, right? Second overall pick, Chase Young. You got him for a third round pick. You trade him for a third round pick. Not a second rounder, not a first rounder. You could say it's not great value, but at the end of the day, third round, Washington's got to figure out how the hell to draft, guys. Because right now, again, Montez traded for a second in Chicago and chased for a third rounder in San Fran. 
Washington now has five picks in the top 100. Do they keep all those five? Do they potentially trade up for a guy they like? Do they trade down in a certain round for more picks? But my look, my scope at this, when I bring the microscope in, I know you guys have seen a lot of stuff on social media this week. If you don't follow me on Twitter already, I'm underscore Ryan Fowler. Is everyone's excited about the picks. They got picks in the first round, second round, third round, top 100 picks. Okay. But if you do not know how to scout, if you do not know how to coach, and you do not know how to play or develop for guys that fit your scheme, not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and say, let's make it work. Because that's what we've seen from Manuel Forbes in year one, where the kids lost all his confidence as a cover three corner at Mississippi State coming into now playing press man against A.J. Brown. What the hell are we doing? And when I look at the history of Washington's top 100 picks, since Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew have been making the decisions, let's go back to 2020. Washington had two top 100 picks in 2020. Chase Young, who is now gone, did not live up, did not live up to expectation. And Antonio Gibson with the 66 overall pick in the third round. Antonio Gibson had, has had flashes. Has he been what they expected to be as a multifaceted flex weapon? Absolutely not. It's really, he's not involved as a ball carrier, and he gets a couple targets a game. That's it. Top 100 picks. 2021, Jamin Davis, first round pick out of Kentucky. The jury is still up in the air with Jamin Davis. Was expected to come in and be a three down linebacker with speed. It can help in coverage. He was completely lost in his first year and has taken steps in year two and now in year three. But the jury's still up in the air with him as far as, was he deserving of a 19th overall selection? Sam Cosme, 51st overall pick out of Texas. He drafted him to be a right tackle. He is now your right guard. Now, tackle and guard flexibility is what all teams would like to see in offensive linemen anywhere. Versatility is king at the NFL level. And Sam Cosme has the athleticism to do so. And I think he's been good when he's on the field. He's taken steps at guard. Sometimes he's shit. Sometimes he's... Above average. But again, that's a second round pick for you. Where really, I cannot sit here and say, he's been damn good. Or he's been terrible. It's a lot of, eh, if ands or buts. And then the 74th overall pick, Benjamin St. Juiced. I like Benjamin St. Juiced. He's been targeted a ton this year. Him and Emmanuel Forbes are top five in yards allowed in coverage in the NFL out of all corners. Both top five. Two commander's corners in the top five of yards allowed in coverage. They've been picked on a bunch. But he's big, he's strong, uses his length well, and I like what I've seen when he's on the football field. He's been dealing with injury concerns really the first two years of his career, but he's re- remained relatively healthy in 2023. And then your, their fourth top 100 pick in 2021 was Deami Brown from North Carolina to provide some help for Terry McLaurin at that time. Has not been involved. He's played 38 games. He's got 23 catches in 38 games, 395 yards, and two touchdowns. Top 100 pick. 2022. Washington had three top 100 picks. Jahan Dotson had a hell of a rookie year. Heavily featured these last few weeks in the Eric Bieniemy run offense, not the Scott Turner run offense. I love Jahan Dotson. I like that pick. He's been excellent in D.C. That's a hit. Fedarian Mathis. 47th overall pick out of Alabama. Got hurt in week one last year, which is terrible. 
But at the end of the day, he's played two games in almost two years. That's what you've gotten from number, from Fidelity Mathis. Two games in basically two years. And then Brian Robinson Jr., who hasn't had a ton of work these last few weeks. His story has been excellent, right? unbelievable. Coming in from Alabama, the situation he went through coming into his rookie year, and the player that he is. And if Washington can ever get the run game going, it's because of Brian Robinson. So I would say that's a hit in the third round as a top 100 pick, the 98th overall selection, so a fringe top 100 pick. And then you move into this year, and I don't, know, I don't need to go into the names with Forbes, Martin, and Ricky Stromberg, who was the 97th overall pick. So at the end of the day, and from my perspective, sure, Washington has five picks in the top 100. But they got to figure out the process of who fits, who doesn't. Can we coach these guys up into our scheme? This is not the 1980s and 90s to where you take a guy and just plug him in and say, figure it out. You take guys, depending on your value, every board is different in football. It's like if I'm Alabama and I run a 4-3 defense that can be a hybrid defense with a 3-4, a bare front, it doesn't matter what we do. Comparatively to a TCU, a Big 12 defense that runs that 3-3-5 stack to where it's extremely difficult to evaluate linebackers and defensive linemen because of how unique they are in the first and second level. And what I mean by that is you can't pigeonhole a guy from either of those defenses just to throw them in, switch spots, and expect them to succeed right away. You draft guys to fit your scheme. Some guys are higher on boards than others for either side of the ball. Some teams like bigger guards because they want to run gap. They want to run more downhill power. Some teams like smaller, more athletic guards. They want to run more zone. Getting out in space. Guys like Sadiq Charles. So teams value players differently. And in Washington's perspective right now, they got to learn how to draft and develop. That's the biggest thing when it comes to the draft. It's really fun when you hear the guy's names called for some of you guys that someone may be drafted in the area that you know, a Maryland guy, a Virginia Tech guy, a Virginia guy. Who knows? But they have to fit. And when you bring them in, coach them up and develop them. It's as much about that, what happens after their name is called, than what ultimately how you can project them to what they're going to be down the road for you, especially within the top 100. You cannot miss on guys in the top 100. That is your not only your headlining core starters, but as you move into the third round, your core guys, your glue guys, depth pieces, or guys that come in rotationally but have major snap counts. You have to hit on those players. So with another second-round pick because of Montez that may basically look like a first, and another third in the top 100 with Chase going to San Fran, they got to hit on those picks, however many they use. We will get in to draft talk as we move forward into the winter and into the early portions of next year, into 2024. This week, from my end, has been crazy with calls from scouts and personnel and agents 
the draft process, the pre-draft process, Senior Bowl invites are starting to go out. Shrine Bowl invites are starting to go out. This process is kicking up. And with Washington now in a full rebuild, what it looks like, the draft is uber important. You build Super Bowl teams through the draft. And you pick and choose where you want to spend your money in free agency. Right now, Washington has the second most cap space of any team in the NFL. So they're going to have money to spend. And if you draft well and you develop well and you allocate your money correctly to the pieces that you'd like, wherever they may allocate it to, is it tight end? Is it offensive line? Is it another edge rusher in free agency? Is it a linebacker? Is it another corner? Who the hell knows? We're getting into that talk moving into next spring. But at 3-5, and five, visiting the 2-6 and six Patriots this week to where the season by no means is not over. This is a huge week for a lot of guys to get an opportunity and what they could expect from these rookies specifically after trading Montez, of course, to the Chicago Bears and Chase Young to the San Francisco 49ers. So it's adios to number 90 and 99. NFL's a business, as harsh as it may sound. And now it's on to this week to focus on the New England Patriots. And that's where my focus turns now. Two and six team led by Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. If you guys are new here, it is time to get to the nuts and bolts of this New England Patriots roster. A team that has struggled, a team that has been battered with injuries on specifically within the offensive side of the ball. They just lost wide receiver, their leader in targets and touchdowns and Kendrick Bourne last week who tore his ACL. He is out of the fray now for basically he's out for the rest of the season. They won't see him until 2024. But this is a Patriots roster, guys. When you hear the Patriots, you think of who? You think of Big Tommy, Tom Brady, and old Bill with his dirty-ass sweatshirt that he wears on the sideline. That's what you think of with the Patriots. Standing there with his robot-like face with zero emotion, and the Patriots just went out week after week after week for year on year and decade by decade, just running through the AFC East, running through the AFC, and winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Now... We've gotten to the point where people want to talk about, oh, was it Tom's success or was it Belichick's success in orchestrating the whole thing? Not going to get into that. We are going to focus on this roster. But like I said, if you are new here, we're getting into the offense, the defense, and special teams of this Patriots roster and how the Burgundy and Gold can go into Foxborough on Sunday and get to their fourth win before a massive game on the road against an NFC opponent in the Seattle Seahawks who are playing good football. So let's get into this Patriots roster. Again, starts at quarterback, right? With Mac Jones, a quarterback that is not going to beat you. You win with a guy like Mac Jones. You don't win because of a guy like Mac Jones. There's a difference between being the trailer and the wagon, right? Are you, are you the one that's carrying it? Or are you the one that's just kind of hopping on the back? That's what Mac Jones is. Hopping on the wagon a little bit and just kind of on for the ride. What he is for this Patriots roster. First round pick out of Alabama just a few years ago in 2021. There's been ups and downs from what we've seen from a organizational perspective with this Patriots roster. Who the hell they want to play quarterback? Because we've seen Bailey Zappi in there. 
over these last few years, quarterback they took out of Western Kentucky on day three back in 2022. But it is still Mac Jones's show. And where he wants to make his money is in the 5 to 15-yard range of the offense. We're going to get into their skill players in a second. But names to know for this week are tight ends Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki. That is where he's going to make his money. Now, it goes hand-in-hand hand with who they have up front along their offensive line. The only guy that stayed at his spot for every single snap this year is center David Andrews, who's been there for a long, long time. But they want to get the ground game going with Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. Yes, that Ezekiel Elliott from the Dallas Cowboys of old. Two big-bodied backs that can create both within the tackles and outside the tackles. And the big thing for Washington this week is going to be to tackle with all 11 hats on the football. They're bigger bodies. Arm tackles aren't going to work. One guy in space is not going to work. Unless you're extremely technically sound as a tackler from the stuff that I've seen from Kendall Fuller over the last month of the season. On the edges and on the perimeter one-on-one. Whether it's a toss to a running back or a screen on the outside to a receiver. Breaking through a block and making a one-on-one tackle in open field. It's not easy. I don't care if you're 6'2", 200 pounds, or 5'10", 180. You got to make a tackle, and it's a willingness to do so. This week is going to be a lot of effort, a lot of willingness. Neither of the guys, neither of the backs that the Patriots have are going to run away from you. And that's where they're going to make their money, guys. Because again, I mentioned Mac Jones. He wants to make his money in the intermediate areas. Through eight weeks... He's thrown for nine touchdowns. He's got four touchdowns in the last two weeks. And a pick the last two weeks. So, bring the microscope back a little bit. Four touchdowns compared to one pick the last two weeks. Pretty damn good football. Against Buffalo and Miami. So, if Washington gives him the opportunity to sit back and pick him apart, he will. Reason why he's a first-round pick. Came out of Alabama as not a guy with a huge arm. But he's efficient. He's accurate, and he's a little bit of a throwback type of quarterback, a lot from we saw what we saw from Tom Brady over the years, who wants to live inside the tackle box. Not a dual-threat quarterback by any means. This is the most unathletic quarterback that Washington probably will see in 2023, and it's probably by far. Not saying the guy can't run, but you, you, you get your... Local high school quarterback, and I bet he beats Mac Jones running backwards. That, I mean, it's just not an athletic dual threat type of talent. That's just not Mac Jones' game. And no flack to Mac Jones, but he's a throwback type of quarterback in a 2023 day and age where you got to have guys that can stretch defenses, not just with their arm, but with their legs east to west, expanding a playbook. He does not allow Bill O'Brien, their offensive coordinator, who followed him from Alabama to New England, He's not going to stress you with his legs. He's going to stress you with his arm and with his mind pre-snap. And that's where he wins. And the more snaps that he gets, because again, this is already year three of Mac Jones in New England. 2021, he threw for, he threw for 24 touchdowns and 15 picks. 2022, threw for 14 touchdowns and 11 picks. And this year, he's already got eight picks. So guys, in his career, he's got 47 touchdowns, 34 interceptions, and he's not even through the third year of his career. So the talent we talk about in Washington's secondary, 
because there is talent. Specifically, I look at the safeties room, Cam Curl, Percy Butler. Those guys are going to have to show up this week. Are we going to see any of Khalid Hudson this week at the second level? Who knows? Was held under 10 snaps last week. David Mayo will probably get some more snaps in the middle of the defense. From an injury perspective for Washington, it looks like Curtis Samuel is not going to go this week. Hasn't practiced all week. Hopefully he's healthy, but I don't think he's going to go this week, which is going to be a shock. But Deami Brown, step up. But again, back on track to New England. He is extremely turnover prone. You have to force him into making turnover worthy plays. Get guys in his face. If you can't, get your arms up and put your hands in throwing lanes. That's what Washington has to do this week. You cannot sit back and let him pick you apart. And as we get to the skill guys for this Patriots offense, it's a young, young, youth-infused group. Again, I mentioned Kendrick Bourne. He led the team with 55 targets. Again, he tore his ACL and will not play in 2023. Hunter Henry second on the team in targets with 34. So Bourne had 21 more targets than anybody else on this Patriots roster. He is now out. Hunter Henry again, 34 targets. Ramondre Stevenson, their running back, is third on the team in targets with 32. Then it's Demario Douglas, local guy from Liberty. If any of you guys are Flames fans out there, you remember Pop Douglas at Liberty. Really fun athlete. Um, They used a six-round pick on him, again, out of Liberty last year. And he was someone that was outstanding at the Combine, ran well, tested well, and the production at Liberty was fantastic. And he's become one of their featured weapons and is going to be a featured weapon considering that Devontae Parker, a guy that came over from Miami a couple years ago, is going to be hurt. And he's probably not going to play. So it's Demario Douglas. It's Jalen Rager. You guys remember him, former first-round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles that went to Minnesota. He bounced around the league. Now he's with New England. Kayshawn Boutte, a day three pick out of LSU, who was someone that was looked upon last year early in the process as a potential top 50 pick and lasted late until day three for some other reasons I'm not going to get into, but he's super talented, super athletic, and super productive during his time at LSU. Rocked up, dude, can run, can run every route in the book, knows how to separate and can block on the perimeter. So these guys are going to be the featured weapons for New England this week away from Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki, who came over from the Miami Dolphins this offseason, to allow them to live in 12 personnel. Again, one running back and two tight ends. And that one running back is swapped between Ramon J. Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. That is where the focus remains for this commander's defense this week. It's not at receiver. It is at tight end. Jamin Davis, whoever is out there, for Washington at the second level. They're in man-to-man against these guys. First and tens, second and seven, second and eights. They want to gain yards methodically. They just want to churn clock to where they have 10, 11, 12 play drives that eat up five or six minutes of clock and just score points. They're not going to blow out teams 35-10, 45-nothing, 55-14, like we saw in the years past with Tom Brady. That's not how they make their money. They want to win 21-17. 17-10, 14-3. That's the type of games that the Patriots want to win. Boring football. That's what they want to play. 
and just lull you to sleep. And then you look up in the fourth quarter and you're down 10 at the two-minute warning. So from Washington's perspective, we're going to get into their defense in just a minute. A veteran defense. But this offense should not be able to consistently drive the field on Washington's defense. It's just the bottom line. I feel like a broken record because I've said it every damn week that this defense has to show up. When will they? I don't know. When are they ever going to hold teams under 15 points for maybe two or three consecutive weeks? Maybe that's a big ask. I'll just say 20 points for a month. But talent on this defense, you should absolutely be able to. I need to see more from Forbes and Quan Martin. I say it every damn week too. But these guys have to show up. You cannot just bench these guys. They got to play for you. Whether it's improvement in practice or on the whiteboard, something's got to improve with Washington's top 50 picks. They're going to need them, guys. They're not edge rushers, but they're going to need them moving forward. Very talented athletes and defenders, specifically Emmanuel, that has all the instincts, athleticism, and ability inside of him to be an outstanding corner. But again, guys, he was a cover three zone corner at Mississippi State. He was not a primarily press man inside the contact window type of corner that we've seen Jack Del Rio just pigeonhole him into in the first two months of the season. It's not his game. He wants to work downhill and use his instincts. So again, why draft a zone corner and you want to run more man? Those are questions that have been asked for a long time now since we watched since Washington started the year. But they're going to need Emmanuel specifically to show up and play. Because as you get past the top two corners with Fuller and St. Juice, it's Danny Johnson and it's Tariq Castro-Fields. Guys, it ain't going to cut it. And Forbes is a first-round pick that has to get better. Flat out, he has to get better. And the only way he's going to get better is by more reps. In the right defenses. And if you want to play him a press man, then get more work doing so with potentially some help over the top. Just throwing a rookie corner out on an island against anybody in the NFL. They're there for a reason. I look at these receivers for New England this week. Pop Douglas, he can run. Jalen Rager, he can run. And Keishon Boutte, they can all run. But Emmanuel Forbes, I have yet to see the 4-3-5 speed he showcased at the, at the combine. 4-3-5, guys. I haven't seen that all year. The length that he has, haven't seen it. The instincts outside of first couple weeks, haven't seen it. It's been press man against bigger bodies, and the technique's not there. And one-on-one against these guys, you'd expect him to showcase well. They're not overwhelmingly big. They're not strong. They're not great route runners. Elite in that, in that sense. Not guys are going to rise over the top in 50-50 balls and make it life tough for corners going above the rim. So this week potentially may be a get-back game, or get-right game, excuse me, for Forbes. But every week, he's going to be a focal point because you cannot take him in the top 20 picks and say, sit your ass down because I can't play you. Because as much as that is on his lack of ability to play, it is on the coaching staff and the scouting staff for drafting him and throwing him in this defense and the development because it's not there right now. It's flat out not there. But I want to get to this front five for New England, a battered and bruised front five that most likely will be without Calvin Anderson, he's been battling an, uh, an illness, excuse me, all week, not an injury, an illness. Um, he's played some tackle for them. Not sure if he's going to be healthy this weekend. Again, I'm not going to make any guesses who the hell New England lines along their front five because they've had a bunch of guys line up 
uh, along this front. Again, the only guy to play every single snap for them along this interior has been David Andrews, who has 507 snaps at center. He's allowed nine, nine hurries, 13 pressures, and two sacks in eight games. Um, at left tackle, they've seen both Vidarian Lowe and Trent Brown get snaps. Trent Brown's been arguably their best tackle when he's out there. He's only allowed two sacks uh, in seven games. At right guard, they, they've seen Riley Reef. They've seen Mike Onwenu. They've seen City Sal, a kid they drafted on day three from Eastern Michigan. At right tackle, they've seen Mike Onwenu. They've seen Pharaoh Brown. They've seen Calvin Anderson and Vidarian Lowe. And then another rookie that they drafted, Antonio Maffi. You guys followed my podcast back in the spring, a guy that I liked out of UCLA. He's been thrown into the fire a little bit for this Patriots offensive front five. Left guard and right guard. He's got 267 snaps at left guard. He's got 52 at right guard. So he's played both spots for this New England front. When I look at who Washington can attack, I'm looking at Vidarian Lowe and I'm looking at Mafi. Both those guys have combined. They've allowed eight sacks combined, three hits. They've combined nearly 40 hurries. And they've allowed 48 pressures, 13 games combined for both of them. 48. So John Allen, Deron Payne, KJ Henry, Andre Jones, Casey Tuhill, James Smith-Williams, F.A. Obata. That is my focus. It is crazy to say, and crazy not to say, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. They're gone. They're gone. But those are now the guys in the burgundy and gold are going to be suiting up. And I can't focus on... Who's staying behind? Focus on who we're going to battle with. Who's going to be by my side going into war on Sunday. And these are my guys. I don't see a number 90 to my left and a number 99 to my right. That guy's in Chicago and that guy's in the Bay Area. But I do see a couple young, hungry rookies. And I see some veterans that want to prove themselves along this defense. And that's who I expect to show up this week. Because I don't don't care how talented you are, how tall you are, how strong you are, what you run in the 40, how long your arms are. How you win on the outside? Do you win with power? Do you win with speed? Do you win with finesse? I don't give a shit. If you're an effort guy, you're a high motor guy, and you prove yourself every single week, and you prove yourself every single snap where you're playing for more reps, then I'm going to put you on the football field. If I'm coaching, I'm not looking at where you went to school or where you're drafted. If you can play, you can play. James Smith-Williams, Hill, all these guys were not highly drafted picks. Sure, KJ Henry's got some sexy to him. Clemson, day three pick. I don't care. If you can play, you can flat out play. And if you are rebuilding from Washington's perspective to where you're just going to give younger guys opportunities, these are your guys. For Ron Rivera, KJ Henry and Andre Jones are your guys. The free agents you've added the last two years, these are your guys. If they don't produce and they don't show up, then get your ass out. I'm sorry. Because now that Washington's sending off people, the focus should be turned also towards Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera to making these decisions because of these are their guys. This is year four, not year one or year two. These are their guys. And if you're not producing, and if you're not competing, and the defense is not improving, then you make moves. And especially with a guy like Magic Johnson now in this front office to where he has his fingerprints on this organization, a winner from history in the NBA with the Lakers. I don't need to go into anything more. You guys know who the hell Magic Johnson is and what he stands for. He's been extremely vocal on social media saying this shit is not acceptable for Washington. It's not. And they're making moves that they believe are best towards the future of this roster, not just being relevant, aka what we've seen from Ron Rivera. T 
teeter-tottering from relevant to not relevant. 500 to sub-500. 500 to sub-500. When are you going to be able to win 10 games, 11 games, 12 games in a regular season? And give this city, this organization as a whole, something to rally around. Because there was a lot of positivity heading into the season with new ownership. There was a lot of positivity heading into that Thursday night game against Chicago. And Washington shit the bet. Or when you go to New York and they crack the bet. Or Philadelphia where you allow nearly 40 points again. So my focus is on this defense. Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. Two former linebackers by trade. In Ron Rivera's perspective, a linebacker in the Chicago Bears in years past, the Monsters of the Midway, one of the most historic defenses ever. Ron Rivera was in Chicago during that time. So, show up. Prepare these guys to go out on Sunday and be better from what they were. Now, that's not saying much because you're comparing suck to stink, really. Like, they go out this week and allow 27 after allowing almost 40. Still 27 points. And that is not good enough. And against this offense, and this offensive line, and this type of quarterback to where he makes his money inside the pocket 99.8% of the time, you got to get after him. And you got to make plays in the back end. Because I believe that this offense will score points this week for Washington. As they have, really, the entire year outside of a few games here and there. The Giants game was not good. The Bears game was not good. Those are the two headlining games this year. We could say there's just a really, really bad effort. So let's hop over to the defensive side of the ball for this Patriots group that is battling injury. We are not going to see Jawan Bentley in the middle of that defense. Matthew Judon is having bicep surgery. One of their, He is their top edge rusher. He's not going to be out there. It is a veteran unit led by the guys in the interior. Devon Godshaw, they brought over from Miami last year. Lawrence Guy has been there a long time. Anthony Jennings plays that weak side linebacker. They drafted him in the first round out of Alabama a few years ago. That is their guys. Christian Barmore, another guy out of Alabama, second round pick in 2021, and Dietrich Wise. A lot of these names have been in New England for a long time. And where they get their push is from the interior. When you look at their pressure rates from the guys that they task to not just clog gaps in the run, but to push the pocket on passing downs. This interior for Washington was pretty damn good last week against the Philadelphia front that has a lot of talent. But these guys are crafty veterans. They're not, you know, young guys. Jordan Davis is extremely young. Jalen Carter is extremely young that we saw last week. Milton Williams, you could even say, is still extremely young. But these guys have seen it all. Seen run-heavy offenses, pass-heavy offenses, play action-heavy offenses. Now they're going to see an RPO-heavy offense in Washington to where especially last week, and you saw what they did against the Eagles, a lot of quick hitters to the outside, screens early, slants, timing routes, curls. Then you're developing routes over the middle of the field, your overs, your crossers, and then you take the top off the defense a little bit and your whole shots, your targets in the red zone, into the end zone. So... I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say that New England's defense is bad. They're not. They have talent. They have bodies. They have veterans. They have experience. And at certain points in this ballgame, Sam Howell is going to be tested. Whether it's a strip sack, whether it's an interception, a batted pass that turns into an interception, which we all hate to see. 
that are ultimately put on the quarterback. But this is a veteran unit up front. There's some young pieces at the first level, the second level, and they just signed Alex Austin, who was a seventh-round pick in this year's draft of the Buffalo Bills, formerly of Oregon State. And now he's he's been, this is his third team already in his NFL career. It's been eight weeks of NFL ball. He's on his third team. Again, drafted by the Bills out of Oregon State then went to the Houston Texans, and then now at the New England Patriots, to where they have had some struggles on the perimeter. They flat out need bodies. Some of the young pieces, some of the rookies, guys, to know this week, they drafted Keon White with their second-round pick out of Georgia Tech. Really dynamic athlete on the edge. Um, he's a guy that I saw down at the Senior Bowl. One of his most famous clips is when Georgia Tech played Virginia, and he's carrying a running back on a wheel route 30 yards downfield, running hip-to-hip with him. Almost like the clip that we always talk about with Jamin Davis carrying Kyle Pitts in years past up the scene when Kentucky played Florida. That was kind of his tape to where he hangs his hat on. He wanted to say, hey, what is Keon White as a player? That's the clip that teams looked at. Again, second-round pick. Had some success for them. Hasn't had a lot of snaps. But I believe he had... I think he played every single snap last week for them on the edge. Um, I want to make sure of that real quick. Checking that. Yes, he did. He had 62 snaps um, in that Miami game, and the the two weeks the week before that when they were at Las Vegas, Las Vegas only had eight. So he's been hovering around that 15 to like 30 snap count this year. 62 guys against the Miami Dolphins in Week Eight. So we're going to see him a lot on the edge as you take a step back. They drafted Marte Mapu, third round pick. Out of Sacramento State, he is a guy. There's another guy that was down at the Senior Bowl. I believe he showed up midweek and only played and competed in one practice. Didn't show up for the game and taken in the third round. Just a modern day defender that can really do it all. Really smooth in coverage. Not afraid to pin his ears back and come downhill and make plays in the run game. He's a fun player to watch. Um, has not had a lot of snaps this year, played on some on special teams as well. But if he does get the opportunity, keep an eye on number 30 as that Sam linebacker in this defense. He can roam hash to hash, create TFLs in the edges of this defense, and again, has really smooth, flexible hips in space to run with your Logan Thomases and Antonio Gibsons in space to where it just makes life tougher on Sam Howell to where he can't just come to the line of scrimmage identify the mic and identify the safety and see what they're doing up front from a pressure look and then say, oh, well, I'm going to have my hot read right here and I'm going to hit Logan or I'm going to hit Antonio Gibson in the flat. You have a guy like that that can be sticky in coverage and has the athleticism to run with guys if Antonio Gibson wants to throttle up and try to create something down the sideline, the far hash by the sideline, he can stay right with him and make life tough on quarterback. So just a couple of names, guys, from a young names perspective. Again, within this veteran defense, Jelani Tavai is a name that's been in New England for a long time. But as we move back to the, the third level, this is a defense that is extremely small and extremely underwhelming as a whole. Kyle Duggar at safety, former second rounder in the COVID years, a really good player. I know you guys have heard the name. Just athletic and can really do it all at any level. Really fun player to watch. Jabril Peppers, you guys remember him out of Michigan, was good with Cleveland. He went to the Giants for a little bit. He's been in New England and has had some success just all over. He can play the box. He can play high. 
really physical type of safety to come downhill on crossing routes and let you know that he's going to be there. And, and he has some ball production this year as well. But in the corners room, it's going to be Jonathan Jones, who's about 5'10", as their starter on the outside. At nickel, it's going to be Miles Bryant, who if you want to, you want to say he's 5'10", well, then he's going to be wearing heels because the guy's about 5'8", 5'9", at best. He's really he's just not the biggest guy in the world, but really good foot quickness. He'll Again, he'll live in the slot, rerouting guys, inside, outside leverage. He's got good ball skills. So that's somebody that Curtis Samuel doesn't go this week. Who's going to really play that weapon X type of slot role for this offense? Because I don't see it being De'Ami Brown right now. Maybe we see Jahan or Terry kind of reduced inside a little bit. They're going to be faced with Miles Bryant, who's played a lot of snaps um, on the outside for for New England. See, on the outside, meaning at corner, but he's lived primarily at the nickel spot for this Patriots defense. But they brought in their old friend. And for some of you guys, a guy that you watched in college at Maryland, J.C. Jackson, who started his career in New England and then went out to the L.A. Chargers and was handsomely paid, didn't work out, and is now back in New England after being traded for at the deadline. And he's going to most likely get some snaps this week starting opposite of Jonathan Jones. So their starting outside corners look to be Jones and J.C. Jackson, who just has not lived up to expectation when he's with the Chargers. But again, now familiar faces, familiar atmosphere with with Bill Belichick running the show. Maybe he gets back to his all-pro type of play that we've seen in years past. Rotationally, Adrian Phillips, Jalen Mills, Jack Jones at corner. Those are the names that you're going to see this week. But primarily, it really starts with Kyle Duggar, Jonathan Jones, and Jabril Peppers, again, at that third level, a veteran defense, just a group that wears its hat, clogging gaps, forcing teams to try to throw it deep and allowing their safeties to make plays. The linebackers are a little bit of throwback type of players. I mentioned Jelani Tavai, Marte Mapu is more of that athletic type of body that they added this year, but Mac Wilson came over from Cleveland. He's more of a thicker type of linebacker. Those are their guys. Joss Uche, a guy that they drafted out of Michigan back in the COVID year. He's had a lot of success in the early years of his career. Has not been good in 2023. And he was a guy that was, whose name was thrown around. And the trade deadline ultimately did not find a home. So that is their defense. Guys, veterans up front, some athletes on the back end. And keep an eye on Marte Mapu at the second level alongside Jelani Tavai. Because again, Jawan Bentley, a guy that I also talked about in the springtime is potentially a guy that Washington may have some interest in. He's not going to play. He's not going to be playing. Excuse me. So that is the New England Patriots special teams. I know you guys love hearing about them. Bryce Berenger, guy they drafted in the sixth round, a punter out of Michigan State. Saw him at the Senior Bowl. And Chad Ryland, another local guy, fourth round pick out of Maryland, who was also down at the Senior Bowl. So they have four Senior Bowl alums on their roster. Now Washington's also drafted a lot of guys from the Senior Bowl over the last few years. Think of Sam Howell, Fredarian Mathis. Juan Martin, Brian Robinson, Cole Turner, all those guys were senior bowl guys. KJ Henry this year, senior bowl guy. So it's a it's a talent-loaded event that obviously a lot of these guys sneak into the NFL. And the Patriots, of course, like all other 31 NFL teams, were down in Mobile um, last winter and will be again moving into this year, as will I. But again, Bryce Barringer, rookie punter, and Chad Ryland, rookie kicker. So again, that is... The New England Patriots, from a return perspective, you're going to see Demario Douglas, a.k.a. Pop Douglas. That's what he goes by. He's going to be their punt returner, rookie out of Liberty. And then Ty Montgomery. Yes, that Ty Montgomery, the guy that was the Weapon X with the Green Bay Packers, went to New Orleans Saints. 
He is now the kick returner, kind of that little weapon X for them um, on the offensive side of the football for this group. But overall, I expect Washington to show up this week. Guys are fighting for jobs. Getting Chase and Montez out of town, open some eyes, raise some eyebrows. That's what you have to do. And Josh Harris isn't playing around. Magic Johnson, they're not playing around. They want a winner in town. Now, that starts at the top in the guys that orchestrate it all with Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera. But as it trickles down to the guys that are suiting up and strapping up every single week, they have to execute at a higher level to where they have to go into New England this week. You can't come out of there 3-6. and six. You can't. Because you start to creep towards that 6-7-8 loss, win, that win-loss total, right? Can't get to 8 losses in your first 11 games. And right now, with already 5, you, you get to 6 after this week, you're really chasing the crowd here for not just to be competitive, but for a wild-card spot. Absolutely. So, big, big, big game, really, these next two weeks to try to get back on track, because you are 0-3 in the division, right? Washington is 0-3 in the division. Both games lost to the Eagles, home and away, and have already lost on the road to the New York Giants in an ugly, ugly matchup at MetLife. But get to 4-5 and five this week. Get some momentum going with the new faces that we're going to see on the, def- on the defensive front this week and get some positivity going before you travel a long road trip out to Seattle next week. So I know this is one of the longer pods of the year. Hope you guys enjoyed. We're on all podcast platforms. Again, as I mentioned earlier, if you don't follow me already on Twitter, I'm at underscore Ryan Fowler. All my written work is housed at Bleacher Report and the Draft Network. So scouting, NFL, college football, draft stuff. Again, at Bleacher Report and at the draftnetwork.com. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you guys had a great week. Hope you guys enjoy a great Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night with college football. And then Sunday, 1 o'clock in Foxborough, 3-5 and five Washington Commanders, 2-6 and six New England Patriots. Hopefully Washington gets back on track here with really a new attitude towards everything moving forward. What to expect? We're going to see it early in this ballgame. Again, first three series on offense, first three series on defense. But I'll have a podcast out for you guys on Monday, recapping win, loss, or tie in Foxborough. But positive vibes moving forward towards this football team. There's a lot of talent on either side of the ball, enough talent to go into Foxborough this weekend and get a win. So as always, appreciate you guys. I will talk to you on Monday. I'm Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.